Well, we know um, on social media, one of the most frustrating things is, of course, that people get away with saying pretty outrageous things, right? There's so much fake news, fake truths, fake claims. So I don't know about you, but I think one of the most satisfying things is when these people who make these fake claims, they get called out on it. And they get called out definitively. And it's shown to be absolutely wrong. And the way that it gets called out definitively wrong is, of course, when things like this happen. So, for example, someone claims that Mark Hamill, who plays Luke Skywalker, called Zack Snyder's Watchmen his favorite movie, and then to have Mark Hamill say, no, I did not. Or it happened to Elon Musk, who gave, supposedly gave Kanye West and Kim Kardashian a custom silver Tesla, and then Elon replies, this is false. And what about Harry Styles? Apparently he bumped into Harry Styles, gave him 100 bucks. Harry Styles says, I wasn't at the Tigers game. Cool story, though. Now, this isn't new, by the way. 100 or so years ago, um, the famous author Mark Twain in a New York newspaper claimed that he had died, where uh, Mark Twain immediately um, wrote back and said, reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. It's so great, isn't it? When the people themselves, the authors, the people that are claiming um, all these fake news, actually call out what the truth is. Well, when Hebrews chapter 1 says, God spoke and God has spoken, don't just gloss over how important those words are. God spoke. You see, everything we need to know about, everything that we're uncertain about, whether they're big things like global issues or whether they're personal things, small things, What would it be like if we had answers to these things? Well, you don't have to guess anymore. We do have answers because why? God has spoken. See, even more important than Mark Hamill, Harry Styles, Elon Musk, Mark Twain having spoken to dispel fake news, here we have the God of the universe who has spoken. You see, in these four short verses, and we're only going to look at these four short verses today, are actually answers to the biggest questions of our existence and our personal lives. God has spoken, and I hope you believe today, this morning, that God wants to speak to us. So let me pray, and let's hear God. Father God, we pray that this morning, as we look at a passage about you speaking, that you would do exactly that. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give you a short intro to the book of Hebrews because that's where we're going to start our journey uh, in this new series over the next few weeks. Uh, Hebrews is a letter, but it's unlike any other of the letters in the New Testament. Now, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. We don't even know specifically who he might be writing to. Not a particular place, not a particular church. We don't know these things. Now, we can guess, though, from the content, the likely, and if you were in CGs, you read a whole big chunk of it this week, didn't you, in CGs? Hope that was a good exercise for you. Um, The writer is very likely to be a Jewish Christian, and he's very likely to be writing to other Jewish Christians as well. And Hebrews, more than any other New Testament book, was written to be read aloud, actually, Right? Now, private reading and reading um, in your head, that's a very recent phenomenon, by the way. It's only the last hundred years ago that people even read without reading out loud. But Hebrews especially was meant to be read out loud because Hebrews is actually closest to what we have as a written sermon. The writer, if you read Hebrews, if you think of it as a sermon, it's actually like a sermon. He's preaching. 
And why is he preaching? He's preaching because the believers he was writing to were in danger. Now, speak, speak more about that in the coming weeks and next week especially. But they were in danger of what? They were in danger of drifting away. You got that? Keep that in mind. That's going to be helpful for you as you read Hebrews. They're in danger of drifting away. So this is not a sudden abandonment of Jesus. It's not diving headfirst into heresy, right? This is a slow drift, slowly drifting back to their old lives, back to their old beliefs, where Jesus is there, but he's just not in the center anymore. That's what we're talking about, a drift. So while many of the um, specific issues that we'll look at in the book of Hebrews aren't going to be our issues, the big danger behind this book, I hope you see, is still our danger, right? Let's think about it. Let's be honest. After COVID, post-COVID, one of the examples Marshall gave is just church prayer meetings. We just haven't really done that much. But how about your own personal Christian life? How has that drifted? Have you felt yourself doing that slow wandering away? You know, not sudden, not dramatic, but just your passion for Jesus, your own prayer life, your church life, your attendance. Or maybe it's drifting into habitual sins, anger and jealousy and greed and lust and or maybe their intellectual doubts that have surfaced that didn't used to be there how have you drifted i i suspect for a lot of us the answer is yeah right post-covid i'm not as close to jesus as i used to be i have drifted in some way see this is such an important book for us and the writer will spend 13 chapters preaching the solution So this is a great book to look at. Now, the first solution and one that he will keep coming back to is this. And this is my first point. Don't drift. Why? Because God has spoken. So you better listen up, right? Don't drift because God has spoken. So you better listen up. That's points two and three. So let's have a look at again at the uh, opening verses. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by His Son. I said before that we think Hebrews was written by a Jewish Christian to other Jewish Christians. One thing that gives you a hint of that is that he says God spoke to our ancestors, right? He's talking about what we call the Old Testament, right? The history of God's dealings with His people, Israel. In all of these ways, God spoke to His Old Testament people. See, the God of the Bible has always been a speaking God. Unlike the gods of the nations who are mute and dumb statues, the Lord God of Israel, you see this all throughout the Old Testament, is a speaking God. Even right from the beginning, the first verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. How did creation come into being? How did God create? He spoke it into existence. And Hebrews 1 here reminds us that God spoke at many times and in various ways. So if you dig through the Old Testament... There are lots of ways that God has spoken at different times. Sometimes it's audibly. People actually hear out loud a voice. Sometimes it's dreams. Sometimes it's visions. He's spoken through angels. He's spoken through prophets or specific prophets. He's spoken even through animals. And then lots of unexplained. We don't know how he spoke, but he spoke because the word of the Lord would come to someone. See, the fact that God is a speaking God reminds us then that at the heart of biblical religion is relationship. Yeah, God is a speaking God. And so therefore at the heart of our religion is actually relationship. It shows you that worship 
relating to God is interpersonal. It's God revealing, it's God inviting, it's God speaking. And His people, what do we do? We listen, we receive, we respond, we speak back to God. It's all relational. It's unlike any of the religions of the ancient world, and it's unlike the religions, quite frankly, of the modern world as well. God speaks, we respond. This is a relationship. But that was then. And Hebrews 1 sets up this contrast, you see, between the then and the now of God speaking. So he says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Uh, These last days, right, you need to know that's not somewhere in the future, just before judgment day. No, these last days, the New Testament view is this period of time we are right now in. Because as far as the Bible's concerned, we are actually in the final act in the drama of God's dealings with humanity. We are in the climax of the story because it's already come. And the reason is because Jesus has come, right? As far as the Bible's concerned, when Jesus came, the last act, the climax, the last days have started. And so we have here in the last act of God's dealings with humanity, his final and definitive speech. Now, it says that he spoke by his son, literally, is actually he spoke to us by a son. Now, I might just be like quibbling over details, but it's actually kind of an interesting point. I'll tell you why. Um, in the ancient world, uh, before email, before, you know, snail mail even, um, and definitely before video call and all that kind of stuff, if a landlord or a business owner, for, for example, were to do business, um, if they wanted to chase up a debt, for example, or start a new business relationship, he might first send his servants or his employees. But you see, if he's really serious, he'll send his son. Right? You get that? Now, Jesus actually tells a parable about that. But anyway, he'll send his son, and especially the firstborn son. Because if you send your son in the ancient world, if you send a son, it's like going yourself. And so when God wanted to say his definitive word to his world, he sends Well, he doesn't send more prophets. He doesn't send more angels. He sends a son. Not just any representative, you see, but the representative. It's like going himself. And so, you see, what God says here in these last days, this final chapter, the time we're in, is going to be the most important because everything he spoke previously has actually been leading up to it. See, that is the relationship between what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament, between then and now. I'll tell you what it's not like. Please indulge me. It's been a while since I've used a Star Wars illustration. It's not like Star Wars sequels, episodes seven, eight, and nine. I mean, even if you're a diehard Star Wars fan like me, it was unsatisfying because so much of these final episodes, quite frankly, seemed like they were making it up as they went. All right, like episode nine, right, provided answers to a lot of the big questions like who is Snoke and who is Ray and who are Ray's parents. But actually, it seems so random. It didn't really connect with the previous episodes. It seemed like the director was just trying to plug gaps and make up stuff as they went along. It was very unsatisfying. So the Old Testament, New Testament is not like that. I'll tell you what it is like. This is an oldie but a goodie. I don't know if how many of you have seen The Sixth Sense. I recently watched it with my kids. Um, but no spoilers. This is the movie where when you get to the big reveal at the end, you actually have to go back and watch the whole movie again in light of it. 
Because unlike episodes 7, 8, and 9 in Star Wars, everything in this movie only makes sense in light of the big reveal. All right? That is much more like the Old Testament relationship to the New Testament. God speaking through His Son in these last days is the big reveal. The New Testament is the big reveal. Jesus is the big reveal. And actually, you can only make sense of the Old Testament when you go back and read it in light of the New Testament. So don't think that the New Testament cancels out the Old Testament. Like, you know, if you write a new will, if, if you've ever written a will, it actually cancels out any old wills. It makes it irrelevant. It's not like that. The Old Testament actually becomes more relevant because now we have the interpretative key in Jesus. Um, by the way, if you kind of struggle reading the Old Testament, and we, we do like preach through judges and we preach through parts of the Old Testament, um, just a flag, it's early days yet, but in, in January, we're hoping to do, if you guys have ever been to um, Next Gen or NTE, where they do this kind of strand stuff, like some of you know what I'm talking about, but one of the strands, strand two, is actually how to read the whole Bible so that it fits together, how to make sense of Old Testament in relation to New Testament. Um, we're going to make these things available in January, and really exciting because no one else is doing this as far as I know. We're going to make it possible that if you're a worker and you have to work during the day, you'll still be able to benefit from it in the evenings. It'll be a week-long conference, but we'll make it available for workers. You might want to think about coming along to that January because we're going to do that um, running at SWEC. So that'd be awesome. Anyway, um, coming back, what is God saying? God not only spoke, but He is still speaking to us in these last days, and it's all centered around Jesus. So you want to know what God's will is? Now, what's God's will for this world, this universe he's created for humanity? What's God's will for you, for me? I remember uh, growing up um, in Taiwan, uh, my late grandfather on my dad's side, um, not, not a Christian, uh, as far as we know, never became a Christian. He was, like a lot of Taiwanese, typical idol worshiper. He had all these Chinese um, altars and statues at home. And I remember one dinner we went over and um, he had to basically throw lots to determine when, when these gods were going to tell us it was okay to eat dinner, right? And so we were there, and we were like little, right, and hungry, but it was 8, eight o'clock, 8.30, nearly 9 o'clock, and the gods still telling us we can't eat dinner. Eventually, we just gave up and we ate dinner anyway. But that's, that's not, you see, God has spoken. When it comes to God's will for the world, for our lives, you don't have to guess. You don't have to throw lots. There's no guessing game. God has spoken. He's spoken definitively, right? It is all here, right? So get to know this. Get to know it well. Now, I'm just saying stuff you already knew if you came to Weekend Away. And if you didn't come to Weekend Away, please catch up on the uh, talks. They're all free online, right? It's all about that. How do you know God's will? God has already spoken, so that's the first way that we don't drift. Don't drift because God has spoken. So now, point three, let's listen. But our listening is a looking. Listen by looking at Jesus. So let's have a look again at these verses. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Okay. Now you notice when it says God spoke or has spoken in Jesus, it's interesting, isn't it? Because he doesn't actually quote anything that Jesus said. 
Now, you'd expect that. That God has spoken in Jesus, so here's what Jesus said. No, no. In fact, Hebrews, the book, quotes so many parts of Scripture. Not one of them is from the Gospels, from Jesus' own recorded speech. Why is that? Well, it's because God's word through His Son is so much more than what just the Son said, but it actually is who the Son is. That's why we listen by firstly looking at the person of Jesus. And that's why these verses are actually jam-packed with statements, not about what Jesus said, but about who he is and what he's done and what he's doing. If you count them, there are actually seven things he says about the Son. Each one we could actually preach an entire sermon on, but I won't do that. I will just help us by summarizing it into three categories. Um, Structurally, the seven things he says in these verses if you imagine, are like concentric circles, a circle within a circle within a circle. What we're going to do is we're going to start at the edge, we'll go to the middle, and then we'll end in the center. You'll, you'll get what I mean in a moment. So first thing he says is about Jesus is that he is the Redeemer King. So you see that at the edges of the circle. Firstly, Jesus is heir of all things. And then at the end, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is the Redeemer King, right? Because Jesus is the Son, He is the one who rightfully inherits. He's the heir, inherits everything that belongs to God the Father. But here's the interesting thing. The New Testament story isn't just that Jesus, well, He gets to inherit everything because He is the Son, and if He just stays in heaven and does nothing, He'll still inherit everything. I mean, that's most, mostly the case with inheritance in the ancient world. Just by virtue of you being the eldest son, right? Sexist, I know. You inherit everything. You don't have to do anything. You just inherit. No, no. Jesus doesn't just get his inheritance by staying in heaven. The New Testament story and Hebrews especially is this. He gets his inheritance. He gets to sit at God's right hand only after he finishes the work that the Father gave to him to do. His mission, his earthly work of saving us by dying for our sins, by paying for its full penalty, by being our substitute and sacrifice, and in the words of this Hebrews verse, by making purification for our sins, that's what qualifies him to inherit and rule everything. Right? In his saving work, he does what the Father has sent him to do, and that qualifies him to inherit and rule everything, because he's doing what is at most, what is most in his Father's heart, which is to save his creation. But that's the first thing. God, uh, Jesus is the Redeemer King. Let's move inside another circle. And you see the next bit is that He made the universe. Through Him, God made the universe. And verse 3, He sustains all things by His powerful Word. He is Creator and Sustainer. Uh, In Genesis 1, I mentioned, right at the beginning of the Bible, God created everything through His Word. Now, in the New Testament, we, of course, find out that this Word is actually a person, right? John chapter 1, verse 1. The Word became flesh. It's Jesus. Through Jesus, God created everything. Now, the word there for universe actually translates the word where we get the English word eon from. You know eon, A-E-O-N, that word eon? The idea is not just the visible universe, but also the invisible universe. And it's not just space, but actually time. See, literally everything is what we're looking at. If there was a multiverse, Jesus is the creator of it all. 
And he's not just creator, he is sustainer. See, the Bible's view is not like God is a, a, a clockmaker, right? He, he made, makes the clock, he winds it up, and then he just lets it run by itself. That is not the view of the Bible. The Bible's view is this. From the biggest things to the smallest things, from quasars to quarks, everything that is all time, all space, all matter, is actually second by second or nanosecond by nanosecond held up, working, happening, existing because Jesus actively wills it and Jesus actively speaks it. Like you get your head around that. If Jesus for a moment suspended his sustaining of the universe, atoms would literally fly apart and none of it would exist. That's incredible, isn't it? About a month ago, we saw these pictures from the James Webb telescope. What we're seeing, especially the image on the left, supposedly, is images from as early of part of the universe as we can, you know, 13 billion light years away. Okay, so 13, these images are from 13 billion years ago. We see in these images the birth and the death of stars. We see the collision of galaxies the atmospheres of exoplanets. I don't even know what an exoplanet is, but it sounds cool. And yet, that image on the left especially, probably the most famous image, that, if you looked at it in the night sky, is just the size of a grain of sand held at arm's length. That picture was in the night sky, is, 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 that's how big it is. A grain of sand held at arm's length. Tiny. And so all that it doesn't show everything else in our night sky, can you imagine how big that is? Now let's think about Jesus, the creator and sustainer of it all. He made it all. He sustains it all. That's how big Jesus is. And then right at the center and most important, look at verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Jesus is to God, or Jesus is to God the Father, not as the moon is to the sun, but as the rays of the sun are to the sun. Let me explain. The moon only reflects the sun's light. You know that, right? That's not the relationship between the Son and the Father. Jesus doesn't just reflect the glory of the Father. No, it's more like the sun's rays are to the sun. You see, without the rays of the sun, we don't actually experience any of the sun's light and warmth. Jesus, the sun, is to the Father as the rays of a sun are to the sun. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of His being. Again, um, those James Webb telescope images, you need to know that that is not what the telescope saw. These images have had to be digitally enhanced big time, all right? Because this telescope can only, you know, I don't know the science of it, but they can only communicate, send back certain colors and certain, you know. They've been digitally enhanced so that we can maybe see what it may have looked like. Well, when it comes to God, Jesus did not need to be digitally enhanced. Jesus perfectly reveals God. No enhancement needed. In other words, you meet Jesus, you meet God. You see the sun, 
you see the Father. You want to know God? Get to know Jesus. Now, I'm going to get someone up here next week to talk a little bit more about Alpha and our experience just in the last few months. But I want to commend to you, Alpha, whether it is that you are a follower of Jesus or you're just like, it's been a while since you've revisited or you're, you're really on a spiritual search and you don't yet personally aren't convinced, you don't know. Alpha's great because what we do is we spend our time getting to know Jesus. And we do it over dinner. We do it in discussion format. It's really, really, really good. I can't recommend it highly enough. We're going to start another unit, uh, sorry, start another cycle in September. Um, might want to think about who you can bring along. Might want to think about coming yourself, okay? Because you want to get to know God, you get to know Jesus. You get to know Him. And this is why the Son is God's definitive word. It's definitive. Remember, God has spoken. And the fact that God has spoken means that we have answers to all of life's biggest questions. And more than that, the fact that God has spoken in Jesus means that the answers to these questions, where are you going to look for them? Where are you going to find them? They're actually found in Jesus. There is no need to guess anymore. Whatever these big questions are, like the question of who is God and what is He like? Or questions like, where did I come from? Who am I? How can I be right with God? How can I be free from shame and guilt? What, what is the meaning and the purpose of my life? What is the meaning and purpose of everything that exists? Like, I want to tell you this, every single answer is actually found in Jesus. In Him as, even just those three things we looked at, is in Him as Redeemer, King, in Him as Creator and Sustainer, in Him as Revealer of God. Now, you don't believe me, let me just use an example. Let's, let's take an example of a common question almost always asked, why is there suffering and evil in the world? Have you been asked that question? It's a hard one, isn't it? Why is there suffering evil in this world? Well, I want to say, even though that's a big question with big, like long answers, just take a shortcut. If you look at Jesus, you will find at least some of the answers, and I think the most satisfying parts of the answers. Let me, let me give you an example. Why is there suffering and evil in the world? How do we look at Jesus? How does that provide answers? Well, well, if Jesus reveals God perfectly, remember, He reveals God, then this tells us something, right? I mean, Jesus is good. Jesus hates suffering. He denounces evil. Now, if He reveals God perfectly, then no matter how much suffering and evil are in the world, we cannot say that God is the cause of suffering and evil or that God loves to see people suffer, all right? Because Jesus reveals God perfectly and God is good because Jesus is good. What about this one? Jesus is creator and sustainer. Well, if this is the case and we know that while evil and suffering exist, it's not as if God is caught by surprise. In fact, if He's creator and sustainer and He is sovereign over everything, then even evil and suffering, even though it's not His will in the sense that He wants it or He desires it or He likes it, it is still under His control, yeah? Because Jesus is creator and sustainer. And then we also know that Jesus is redeemer king. Well, what did He do as redeemer? He came into a suffering world and He suffered. We sang about that, didn't we, in that new song? He came to deal with the root cause of suffering and evil, and that is sin. And He deals with it by dying on the cross. And as Redeemer King, He will come back in His second coming to end all of suffering and evil and injustice. All right, do you see? All I've done there is just take those three things that we learn in Hebrews about Jesus and have teased them out in relation to one of the biggest questions around. 
Why is there? It's not all that there is to say about evil and suffering, but I hope you see it's the beginning of it. And you can do that. You can do that with any of the big questions in life, as well as any of your big questions in your life, because God has spoken. We don't live without answers, because God has spoken definitively in Jesus. We find answers when we look at Jesus. So coming back to that big question, have you begun to drift? Have you begun to drift? Whatever your surface reasons, the deeper and the most important reason is always this. You've taken your eyes off Jesus. You've taken your eyes off Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he is doing. Imagine you're on a boat, and your boat is on a river that's slowly drifting downstream. Every so often you realize you're drifting downstream, and so you grab the oars to try and fight the drift. But you're tired, and every time you need to take a breather, of course you drift back down. But you forget that your boat has the most powerful outboard engine the Mercury 600 horsepower, 7.6 liter V12. This is a monster. You forgot that in a moment, with a press of a button, it can take you back to shore or anywhere you want on that river, no matter the current, because you've got that monster engine. You see, if you're drifting, don't forget who the sun is. He is Redeemer King. He is Creator and Sustainer. He is Revealer of God. And by the way, I don't have time to talk about it, but these verses, if you like, if you know some of the Old Testament, he's also prophet, priest, and king. Kind of cool, huh? Jesus is God's definitive word. He has the answers. He is the one who will stop your drift. So will you come back to him? By the way, if you're here today and it's been a while since you've been here, you've already taken the first step. Isn't that great? And if you've begun to drift and this is your first time back for ages, isn't it great that God knew exactly where you're at and He's speaking to you right now? So come back to Him. Commune with Him. Spend time with Him. Worship Him. Speak to Him. Listen to Him. Obey Him. And one other thing, and this is why it's so important to come, you get to talk about Him in the fellowship of this community. Stay for lunch. Talk about him over lunch today. Come to prayer meeting at 2.30. And let's all spend time worshipping him and talking to him and talking about him. That'll stop your drift. Listen, look at Jesus. Let's pray. I'll get the band up. Father, thank you that you've spoken to us. Thank you that even right now, you are speaking to us. And you're speaking to us in the person of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that even now as we just chew over some of the things we've heard, as we respond in song, 
that you would be ministering and speaking to the hearts of everyone here, whether they're still investigating or whether they've heard this a hundred times or whether they're drifting and you are really inviting them back. Holy Spirit, please do your work to make Jesus big as he deserves to be in our hearts so that the drift will stop, so that we can be awed and wowed, so that we can worship and love spending time with Jesus. And Jesus, would you take such a big place in our hearts that this coming week and all our lives may be lived for your glory. Amen.